Starry Voices. Demystifying Zero Trust is a podcast created by Istari, a global cybersecurity platform. At Istari, our mission is to help create a digitally resilient future for the businesses we work with. This podcast series explores the strategy of Zero Trust as a way to help build cyber resilience. Thank you for joining us for episode 105, February 1st, 2022. I'm your host, Don O'Neill, client partner with Astari. Today, we are talking with Matt Glenn, Vice President of Product Management at Illumio, about vendor misconceptions, how traditional networking approaches different from more modern software-defined zero-trust techniques, and how to get started developing your own strategy and policies for locking down the organization. And finally, how zero-trust can assist in preventing the spread of ransomware. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. You know, this podcast series is really about understanding and demystifying zero trust, hence the name demystifying zero trust. As organizations start to adopt zero trust, a lot of them get confused as to what zero trust really is. How does Illumio see zero trust? Well, first off, Don, I I really appreciate you having me on the podcast and, you know, glad to see you guys have uh, come this far. Glad to be like you know one of your newer uh, episodes. I know your your uh, listenership is growing. I'm sure I hope it grows to to be massive. To your question now, how do we be zero trust? Here's a little story for you. When Illumio was founded by PJ Kerner and Andrew Rubin, they began with a default deny uh, mindset in the product. And, you know, that is the essence of zero trust, which is, you know, nothing is allowed except that which you explicitly want to allow. I think that that very simple message, like only allow that which you should, has been taken, skewed and moved around and shifted around by the vendor world to sort of suit their uh, needs. You know, my view of zero trust is it's a strategy. It's not a product. Right. And that zero trust extends into different parts of your IT ecosystem. For instance, it extends into your identity, right? How do you ensure that Don O'Neill is Don O'Neill, right? So if you think about that, it's like using interesting passwords and then following it up with like a two-factor authentication, think of like an SMS or a Duo or an Okta or some, some type of authenticator that allows you to ensure that it is truly Don who's accessing something. That's a, applying a zero trust mindset to your users. In the data center, which is where Lumio, data center cloud, excuse me, where Lumio really cut its teeth, it was really around enforcing a segmentation policy. And if we, if we look at what's happened in, in the world, especially in the last couple of years, it's funny how it's sort of accelerated. What we've seen is that a lot of the breaches that are happening are ransomware type breaches. And um, it's not like someone locking up the photos on, on someone's laptop or their workstation at home. It's a much more broad spread, a larger spread, a more nefarious form of ransomware where people aren't asking for like $200 to unlock a workstation, but instead asking for thousands and millions of dollars to unlock an entire network. And the reason why ransomware is able to propagate is because an attacker has to get it right once. And what I mean by that is they just have to bypass your EDR or your EPP technology just once in order to gain a foothold inside of a network. Once there, 
they can move laterally within the environment and spread ransomware, for instance. And so think about this as a defender, when you don't use zero trust, what you're really hoping for, and I will argue that hope is not a strategy, you're hoping that your detection technology is going to detect every potential connection, uh, every potential breach, and that's actually an impossible. That's impossible. Eventually, something's going to get through. Uh, we don't wish that to happen, but invariably it will. And once something does get through your detection technologies, the attacker has the advantage of a terrain that's basically flat because a lot of people have built their networks uh, with no form of segmentation or isolation within it. So once someone gets a toehold, the attacker can move laterally. And in a lot of the ransomware attacks, they move laterally to lock up workstations or, or data center servers. With zero trust, if one host is breached, the attacker can gain a toehold onto that one device, but they can't move within the environment freely because all the connections within the environment are regulated at some level to ensure that you know lateral movement is restricted to only those things that are required. That's a segmentation-centric form of zero trust. So I showed you sort of an identity version of it or a segmentation version of it. The bottom line is it's not one product, it's a strategy, right? It's not a hope, it's a strategy. And that strategy plays out in you know, your identity, it plays out in segmentation, it plays out in the devices that uh, you buy. How do you make sure that the laptop that your organization issued to you is truly the right laptop? Um, how do you make sure that the workloads in your data center are the right workloads and that they're doing the things that should be they should be doing? So it's really, there's multiple pillars to zero trust, but it's not a product. And anybody who tries to sell you a quote zero trust product is trying to basically you know take dollars, which is what vendors want to do. But you got to think more broadly when you begin a zero trust journey about the about the strategy, not about the product. I'm sorry that was a rant on, but that's my sort of thing on that. No, that's absolutely okay. It's important that people understand that it's a strategy holistically across all areas of the network, not just in one particular area, not just talking about a VPN replacement or a, a NAC replacement or cloud segmentation or anything like that. It really is truly from end to end a strategy, you know, encompassing yeah, all, you know, dozens of different tools potentially in an environment, as well as governance and management of that environment for policy. I completely agree with you. In fact, there's a bunch of different frameworks out there. There's the NIST 800-207. There is the Forrester version of it. And each of those has very slight tweaks on the same concept. But one of the things I'll argue, and as long as we're talking about strategy, is you know let's imagine that uh, Cogswell Cogs, because I was a Jetsons fan as a kid, goes on a zero trust journey. And they're going to start thinking about how to make this strategy play out over time. So maybe they plug in something to solve their identity provider uh, problem. Well, the thing about that is, okay, so let's imagine in phase one, they're gonna solve identity, in phase two, they're gonna solve uh, workloads, for instance. And you you need to think about how these products will end up working together. What Do they have any API level integrations out of the box? Are you gonna be sort of the service provider that's gonna build it for themselves? So like, it's not just like you're gonna plug in the holes of Zero Trust, you need to think about how these things play together uh, within a broader ecosystem. So as that strategy comes together, um, you can almost look at it like building blocks. And so, hey, I'm gonna fill in this block for identity. 
how does it fit in with the other pieces of my strategy? So as you're sort of building those things out, don't just look at the products in isolation. Think about how they're going to fit within a broad, the broader ecosystem. Yeah, that's a very good point. And we also need to think about identity as not just people, but also devices and resources in the environment. I, I can agree with you more. In fact, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about that exact problem. I mean, there's been a lot of technologies out there for identity cleanup, like for database access and stuff like that. And a lot of them really focused on user identities or access identities, like a MySQL DB database, uh, you know, username, password. But as we look at more of an API-centric world, we also look at like API keys. How are those managed? How are they aged out? How are they distributed? So identity is not just about users anymore. It's also about machines and machine access. So that's a, it's a, that, that wasn't a slightly good point. That was a fantastic point, Don. Thanks. And uh, Lumio is kind of playing in a relatively new area considered, you know, software-defined networking. Some people call it software-defined segmentation. Some people call it software-defined perimeter. Talk about how that control or the level of control that the tool provides addresses the lateral movement. Let me uh, back up because I think it's a good way to sort of enter the conversation. I remember, like, when NetScreen came along. And for those of you that uh, don't know who NetScreen, NetScreen was a firewall vendor. And they really conceived of the product called a zone, where you know you would put like the web tier of your applications in one zone, the app tier in another zone, and then you would write basically zone-to-zone -zone rules inside of your infrastructure. And it was really a way of subdividing your data center, but that was primarily based on VLANs and subnets, et cetera. The world's changed since then, right? As VMware came along and, and virtualization came along, you know, people's subnettings began to break down. Um, you're now in the cloud and you may not even own the network. So it's become harder and harder to segment and rezone your infrastructure as it were. And in the meantime, the threat matrix has become increasingly uh, virulent in that you, know, you see, as I said earlier about ransomware and also insider threats. You know, some of our customers literally know that there are people from organized crime working there and they're, and, and they're monitoring them closely uh, because like the FBI wants them to, right? So the, the threat matrix isn't like just somebody running a kitty script. It's actually a lot more advanced than that because there's lots of dollars at stake. But so that's basically created the need for more segmentation. I, would, I think around 2013, 2014, what we saw was sort of a commingling of SDN or software-defined networking and commingling that with software-defined segmentation. I think that happened when VMware acquired a company named Nacera. And the entire idea of Nacera was around very rapid workload deployment in a software-defined data center, right? And then the use case that they tried to capitalize on was micro-segmentation. Now, what, what's happened though is that number one, VMware isn't everywhere. And as it turns out, building up segmentation policies is very, very difficult when it's actually combined with the underlying network, right? So as a networking person myself, you know, I remember designing networks and you design, you know, dual home switches, collapsed backbones, and then you add on, you know, reliable uh, protocols like spanning tree, OSPF, BGP. So everything about the network is around reliable packet delivery and everything around SDN, as well as going fast, still is all about reliable packet delivery. 
The problem is segmentation, whether that be micro segmentation or a coarser form of segmentation, is about reliably isolating things. And so what's happened is uh, when people tried to use SDN as their primary form of, of segmentation, it's, you know, A, it didn't really work in existing environments where there was bare metal, number one. It didn't really work well in existing environments where you're in the cloud, right? So what happened was people began to decouple segmentation for the sake of security from the underlying network architecture. And that's really where Illumio came in. What we do is, I think the way you described it as software divine segmentation, I, I like that term because it really allows you to think about that concept of rezoning the way that NetScreen did, but instead of tying it to the underlying network or IP ranges, we can literally define a zone or a micro segment, a zero trust segment around anything. You could put a zone around a port, you could put a zone around a workload or a zero trust segmentation around a workload, around an application, or even around an environment. So it gives you much more flexible ways of creating compartments or micro segments within your environment but instead of you know, having to reconfigure the network or buy more infrastructure, what we're effectively able to do is to isolate things without having to touch the network in any way, shape, or form. That's your question, Don? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And you know, that's an important concept that people need to realize is that decoupling the segmentation from the infrastructure allows you to essentially make your workloads portable. They can live in your data center. They can live in a colo facility. They can live in a cloud. They can live in anybody's cloud, really. It really doesn't make a difference. You're not reliant on the underlying virtualization tools or the under or the tools that a particular cloud vendor provides to you for driving segmentation. And some of the challenges of more traditional approaches like you were talking about are really about making sure that you have adequate bandwidth and adequate uh, CPU overhead on traditional firewalls to handle that traffic hairpinning in and out of firewalls if you truly want to segment. You know, I, I, I hear people so many times talking about, oh, we've segmented our data centers, and really all they've done is defined a bunch of VLANs, but no controls between VLANs, and so they're functionally still flat networks. There are no yeah, controls no, I, between them. I, I, it's funny because I wrote a book about VLANs in 1995, right? And at that point, a VLAN was a as a broadcast domain. And when we think about the word segment, for now I'm going to begin dating myself, it really was around an Ethernet segment, one broadcast domain on an RG58AU uh, uh, cable, right? And the thing is, like, the segment was a broadcast domain. But now when we say the word segment or segmentation, we're thinking about something that's not really so much network centric, but the word the word segment is actually a super loaded word in uh, in the world of networking. And what we've been able to do is decouple that idea of a broadcast domain for segmentation from what we call security segmentation, which is like reliably isolating the assets from a communications pattern. And so that actually, as you're as you're right, is able to extend into the cloud. But one of the things about Illumio that I think is worth noting is uh, you know, our, our solution is comprised of software only. And traditionally, like when we first started shipping in uh, 2014, it was really around host-based segmentation where we were instrumenting the native stateful firewalls that are already inside of hosts. So in Linux, that's IP tables. In Windows, it's the Windows filtering platform. And we do similar things for Unix systems also. But over time, we've evolved beyond the host base. Like, 
We'll program load balancers and turn those into enforcement points. We'll populate the dynamic address groups inside your Palo Altos. And we most recently talked about how we're now programming Amazon and Azure security groups, right? NSGs for Azure, security groups for Amazon. So we've always been just about programming the most efficient security enforcement point uh, because we actually think that you have all the enforcement points you've ever needed. You simply didn't have a way to leverage them. Yeah, that's a very good point. And being able to really orchestrate all of that across multiple environments, across multiple platforms is really what the strength of the product is. Exactly. Like, you know, you don't have to think about, hey, I'm in my data center in, you know, Austin, Texas, and therefore I know I have these facilities, but I, but the, you know, the other part of the applications running inside of Google, oh gosh, how am I going to make this all work together? We remove those challenges from a security perspective. It's one segmentation policy that runs across your data center and cloud environment. It allows you to go fast, but also like, you know, the CIO world is all about, hey, I'm going to leverage cloud. But the, you know, the different clouds behave differently and therefore the security controls behave differently. We're trying to abstract all that away and make it simple for anyone to use. In my my experience with working with the product, it, it's been a godsend for many companies to be able to really centralize their management. Thank you. As one of the earliest employees in the company, and when I hear a customer say or a partner say, "Oh my gosh, it's such a it makes it like so much easier." Literally, like I can tell you, like our engineers go ding ding ding. It's like it makes them so happy to hear that. That's really the goal of the product. Yeah, absolutely. So considering that got this lateral control capability, how does that fit into the bigger picture of, of Zero Trust in general? Okay, you know what? I actually love to talk about the stuff we don't do on Zero Trust on because I, I mean, it's sort of like, it, it allows people to think like, oh, this is not, even though we're in the top right-hand corner of the Zero Trust wave, you know, we don't solve all problems. For instance, we're not a perimeter firewall. We are not like the sassy, you know, perimeter running inside of cloud, right? So we're what's been sitting behind there, making sure everything can't move laterally. We are not going to be the identity provider for your systems, right? So we're not going to be Okta or ADFS or something like that. But what we do do is we satisfy the majority of what's required to do uh, network segmentation. We'll actually even encrypt data in motion with a click of the button. But you know, one of the things that a good a best practice for zero trust is actually also encrypt data at rest. So we don't solve that problem. You know, we solve the problem of you know work running cloud on bare metal servers, VMs, containers, and PaaS services. But you know, we are not yet solving the ZTNA problem, like the VPN replacement problem. You have to think is that you know which blocks does Illumio fill in and which ones we don't. One thing I will say is if you've followed Illumio over time. You know, we've never stood still. We've never said, hey, yeah, let's, you know, let's, you know, stop and high five. We're always adding more into the platform. And so, like, for instance, as I said earlier, when we first started shipping, we were doing bare metal and VMs only. And then we add in programming load balancers, right? And then we added in programming Palo Altos. And then, you know, so we're always adding more in to expand our zero trust reach to sort of solve the sort of broad problem of segmentation. You know, one thing about Illumio is you know, like when you look at sort of uh, how most people's zero trust journeys begin, it begins uh, with visibility. And, you know, I always think like the security industry doesn't do itself uh, a, a good service when it just says visibility and doesn't provide any more sort of detail on that. So let me go ahead and talk about the type of visibility that Illumio provides. 
we're going to show an operator, you know, all the workloads in their data center cloud or their endpoint environment and or their endpoint environment, excuse me. We're going to show you like what's listening, what are the listening processes are. We're going to show you all the communications. It's not like a, a Visio diagram of what you think is happening. We're going to see every single SIN packet sent or received by any given host, and we build that into a map. Why is that map important? Because it allows you to safely build zero trust policies for your existing uh, applications and your existing infrastructure, but without breaking your uh, applications down. You know, I always think like the zero trust journey in your, in your existing environment starts with you know, the first step of visibility, but I want to be, be very precise on what type of visibility we provide. I also like to say that if I was to, you know, go to uh, Spacely Sprockets and, you know, talk about how they should begin their zero trust journey, I always like to say, you know, if you want to do segmentation, let's take on a two-pronged approach. Prong one is let's use the visibility to build up that zero trust segmentation policies for your existing application sets, right? Prong two is let's get become part of your DevOps cycle. So anytime you replatform an application, anytime you build a new application, what you could do is launch that application with zero trust segmentation in place, but you're still gonna get a map of how it's communicating with the rest of the environment so that you're not creating a long tail of problems. It's also important to figure out what someone's zero trust goals are, right? So some people want zero trust at a port level, like they want to lock down SSH and RDP, and that's what their first target is. That gives them the quick win because they're worried about that threat. So one of the things I like to do with a customer is say, what is the first achievement that you want? You can sort of spike the ball on and go to management and so that their zero trust program is not just theoretical, it's actually gaining tra uh, traction. So figure out like, you know, what is the first thing you want to start enforcing on and attack that problem. The nice thing about Illumio is when you attack, like I'm going to do port blocking or I'm going to do a, a zoning, those aren't mutually exclusive to building zero trust micro segmentation. In fact, for us, those are just simply steps along the way. If you start off by doing port blocking, then doing macro segmentation, you don't have to worry about then having to back that out because now you want to move to micro. We look at these all as building blocks uh, towards the customer's ultimate goal. Yeah, that, those are some very good points. And when an organization is really putting together their comprehensive strategy and starting that journey, you know, in the, the asset discovery space, talk a little bit about how Illumio now enables the the edge discovery case and, and the controls on the edge of the network. Okay. All right. So the edge is an amorphous term. So I'll talk about the different types of edges that we uh, take care of. Let me back up a bit and then we'll talk, go into the edge discussion. One thing, uh, you know, you might contemplate as you're building out your zero trust uh, strategy is like, you know, go on the web, look at like the Forrester zero trust architecture where they have workloads, devices, networks, data, and the APIs, et cetera, to tie it all together, and, uh, and and people, which is identity. And then plug in what you already have in place into that. So one of the things that you often will hear is to figure out how you can leverage what you already have super efficiently, okay? And then see how you might be already on your way at some level to zero trust, because you might have all the right pieces. You simply don't have a way to bring them together, okay? So once you've figured out what you have, and then you decide if that's what you want to go forward in your strategy, then you can figure out different starting points. So let's talk about the edge to your question, Don. So 
So you can start off with endpoints, for instance, deploy the Illumio agent on the endpoint. Now, it's important to note when you do that, we are not going to insert a new enforcement point. We're going to use the enforcement point that's already inside of the operating system. If it was a Windows system, it would be the Windows filtering platform, not the Windows firewall. What you will immediately get an idea of is what those users are connecting to. Not just in a CASB sense where like, hey, uh, Joanne is speaking to Salesforce.com or an app ID sense. You're literally going to see every application they're connecting to, whether that's in the cloud, on-prem, even peer-to-peer, and you're gonna see what the connection matrix looks like for one of those end users. And then you can begin to write policies that whittle down what those users can connect to, but also reduce unnecessary attack surface. Like on your average Windows operating system, there's a bunch of ports that are open Because remember, the Windows operating system is not just used by a large enterprise. It's also probably used by the cash registers or your local cleaners. And they might do some type of file sharing using SMB. Most enterprises don't really need to have SMB operational on on laptops because it's sort of an unnecessary risk. But, you know, the Microsoft operating system is like a Swiss Army knife. It does a lot of different things, right? So we're going to show you what the users are connecting to and then also begin to shut down those unnecessary ports. Then you start writing zero trust policies based on what the users should be connecting to and start restricting down what the threat matrix is from those end users. On the other side of that, if you want to start your zero trust journey on the data center, you can see what's speaking inbound, right? So the first thing you can deploy in the data center, because that's a different type of edge, because remember, networks don't really have borders. Your data center might be in the cloud. It might be on-prem. It might be open to your users. You see a lot of very flat networks out there. What you'll see there is that the data center workloads, you're going to see like open ports that are unnecessary, like maybe you deploy an application in 1995 and the telnet port is still open. You can begin to shut those sorts of things down that aren't really necessary. What you're going to do then is start using the visibility to see what's coming inbound from the edge of your data center, wherever that might be, what is speaking inbound and what is it speaking to? So for instance, you can see what is exposed in your DMZ um, and not just from the outside, but within your DMC and begin to cut down those paths also. And then obviously extend that segmentation deeper into your cloud or into your data center. So in both cases, that just starts with visibility, whether that's the edges on the endpoint or in the existing data center or cloud. Yeah, the the concept of the edge has really kind of lost its its initial meaning of users and things like that. We have so many edges. We have essentially a boundless data center with workloads floating around everywhere. And so it's it's a great point about starting your journey from you know either the data center side or the user side. Those are very uh, great approaches. So when you talk about limiting the traffic and everybody's mind these days is on ransomware, how does limiting the traffic and specifically how does your tool address the challenges of ransomware? When you adopt a zero trust mindset, you immediately assume that every single system in your data center or every one of your users is already compromised, okay? And so if you make that assumption, then you're only gonna allow those workstations to communicate on those ports and those and to those things that they should be able to communicate to. So when we think about ransomware, 
ransomware and all bad actors basically live off the land, right? Remember how early in our in our discussion we talked about how the defender has to get it right every single time, which is really an impossible task. There's always going to be some zero day, and once there's one, then you know all of the bad actors they're just they copy one another, and you'll see like a a strain of ransomware that just propagates and gets used until we cover up all those holes. When I say they're going to live off the land, what they're going to do is they're going to find very common ports that are exposed, right? And that's why you see the eternal blue, like WannaCry stuff, was just operating over SMB. Why is SMB so useful? A, it's on the leading desktop operating system. It's there by default, right? As I said earlier, the SMB port is not just used by, it's used by my local cleaners, but in the in your average enterprise network, it's really not necessary on most workstations, but yet it's there. Or to leverage like a NetBIOS. Things that are super chatty, it's always open, but really may not even be that necessary for the normal operation of a Windows system, and especially in a large data center. And let's be realistic. The bad actors are, are attacking enterprises because that's who has the money. And so if you think about being a bad actor, you know, in fact, there's been a lot of articles in like the New York Times and online about some of these groups. They run it like a business. They're paying out people to find vulnerabilities. They're paying out people to breach networks and then to lock the file system. So it's literally like an enterprise. But at that, the cost of that enterprise, what they want to do is keep it cheap. So how do you keep it cheap? You basically live off the things that people don't protect, like SMB, like NetBIOS. So what we do is we basically, when you deploy our agent, which we call the VEN, what we're going to do is we're going to see what the communications patterns are on those endpoints and in the data center. And we're gonna start blocking unnecessary ports that are open. And those are the ports that those ransomware people tend to feed off of because they're living off of the land. And so when those aren't open and it's not easy, the ransomware has to spend more money to find a better threat or a better thing to leverage. And that really drives up the cost of the hack. So by doing really good hygiene, cutting down unnecessary ports, it really reduces the attack surface and the benefit really accrues to the security team inside of these organizations. Let's imagine that Cogswell Cogs is breached and it's really going after people in the cog and sprocket industry. And basically Sprockets finds out about it. Well, maybe they figure out what ports they're leveraging. They can immediately block those ports. We call it the ransomware kill switch. And it doesn't take minutes for us to propagate those rules or hours as it does with a lot of the EDR and EPP vendors. When we block a port with Illumio, it happens like that. It's really rapid. So there's a few ways that you can think about blocking those ports and cutting down necessary attack surface. What have you seen as some of the challenges in deploying a comprehensive zero trust strategy? Okay, I'm going to tell you it's not the technology. It is always the people. So let's imagine that you're going to go on your zero trust journey. What I would say to do is really think about people in process. And what I mean by that is I guarantee you that we can get you to zero trust, right? There's no question about it. But what happens on day two and what happens on day three and what happens when the next application gets deployed? You figure out what your goal is, number one. Then the next thing you do is you really think about people in process. So in, maybe in the first phase of your zero trust journey, you're gonna concentrate on a small scope of workloads, applications, or users, whatever it is that you wanna start on, and really think about making it into a repeatable process 
that can be become part of the operating fabric of the organization so that it's not like a lightning bolt that people you know hate. Instead, you sort of built a process around things and people can live within that process and it becomes more of an operating model rather than a technology they're getting foisted upon uh, the organization. So like think about people and process and then you can start thinking about the outcomes, right? So I wanna isolate this PCI environment. Who's gonna be involved with that? Like how do we make this part of their day-to-day -day life so that the antibodies don't kick up and reject this new program? That's what I always say to, to focus on in the, as you begin the journey. We made the point earlier that zero trust is also about governance and that's where that people and process piece comes into play. I've seen so many organizations attempt to address zero trust or security in general solely out of a security organization or segmentation solely out of a network organization and not take into account architecture or process or endpoints or even talking to each other between the organizations to have a cohesive strategy. And you're absolutely right. People are probably the number one challenge that organizations have to get over. One of the things I always tell CISOs I talk to is don't wait. Go have the discussion with the teams like immediately. And, and don't say we're doing this tomorrow. Open it up by saying we're going to go on this journey to zero trust. Let me explain to you why we're going to do it. I'm not asking you to change today, but I am going to be coming back to you with some incremental changes to process. And I want to make sure that these changes are things you can live with, right? And I want you to understand not the what, but the why we're doing these things. And what I find when people do that, the, the organizational antibodies don't percolate up because people have a little bit of time to ruminate and accept, you know, not just that we're making a change, but also to understand why. And you get less resistance. But if someone walks in, imagine if someone walks in uh, to your office, and uh, your home office right now, right? Or if you're in the office, and says, hey, we're gonna reconfigure everything, you immediately get angry, right? And you're not gonna wanna accept that. That's, if, if you wait too long, you're really thinking about how you're gonna change some portion. I'm not saying an extreme amount, but some increment of someone's day-to-day -day job, you don't want them to reject it. So just sort of like soften the beach with a little bit of a discussion around, hey, we're gonna do this zero trust thing. It's gonna mean some incremental change, right? And we'll show you over time, but I don't want to just show up at the last minute and we're going to consult you along the way. And I think that that's how these things actually become part of an operating fabric rather than just sort of a moment in time. And if an organization isn't willing to sort of invest in like this, it's a long-term strategy that's going to play out, then they're probably not really ready to go on the full zero trust journey anyway. It's something that everybody has to be on board with. It's something that everybody realizes there are going to be incremental changes throughout their environment. There may not be the shocking changes that people come in to this discussion thinking there might be, oh, I'm going to have to change everything about what I do and the way we do things. And you talked about it earlier, really kind of starting with defining that strategy and mapping capabilities into that strategy to understand where the organization does need to grow and evolve and change over time and then really setting forth that that journey together with the people in the organization that are going to be executing it against it long term well actually let me uh let me let me actually reverse this also a little bit it may be and this is totally acceptable that a company doesn't want to go zero trust everywhere maybe they want to go zero trust onto their tier zero applications because that's where they're really worried about it and they're not really ready they don't have the 
They don't have all that long-term thinking. So I don't want anyone to think like, hey, I have to do it everywhere or bust. You can start small and maybe over a 10-year period go to zero trust. Or you can say, I'm just going to do this one application and that's my, I'm going to zero trust this application because that's the only thing that the world cares about. And that's fine too. I just think that you know, we get, it, I don't want to make this overly black and white. You could choose to go full zero trust on you know, one application, two applications, and maybe that's the end of the, for a company. But I also think it's also possible to go bigger, just really figuring out what the outcome you want is. You don't have to like boil the ocean on it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have conversations all the time with organizations say, oh, I want to go zero trust. And to your point, they're thinking so broadly and I have to step them back and really say, look, let's talk about the assets or the data or the infrastructure that is most important to your business that, that you rely on to make income, to keep the, the lights on, so to speak. And let's talk about how we protect that first. And then maybe the rest of the environment is so low risk that you don't even bother with it. Or maybe you do have to do something to protect some of it, either through some sort of a macro segmentation or at minimum, you know, two-factor authentication or something like that to, to minimize the number of people that are accessing an environment from unknown devices. But start small. Think about zero trust is the long haul that it's the way we change business. We're no longer looking at things from a perimeter-centric point of view. We're not just going to keep that that M&M model where we have the you know the hard crunchy shell on the outside, the soft squishy center. We're going to talk about taking and putting viable controls and visibility and governance around our most important assets, and work work our way through the environment step by step. And at some point, we will say it's enough. It doesn't have to be everything. That's correct. And that's fine. Like, I mean, why do everything if you don't need to do everything? So, you know, and sometimes like when someone wants to go big, may, I, I know it sounds crazy coming from a vendor and one of our partners, but maybe it's good to start like a, with an increment and then grow over time, right? So instead, like, you know, that's an okay strategy too, like, you know, maybe focus in on that people and process for the first phase one and then expand out. It, I mean, it's not one size fits all. Figure out what the organization's looking for, then tailor the solution to the outcome. Don't just, you know, buy the solution and then hope you can get to an outcome, right? Like, you know, hope is not a strategy, but like, you know, zero trust is a strategy and you got to figure out how you're going to make that strategy happen. And so focus on that in the first phase, as I said earlier. Absolutely. And, and people say, I hope this works. Hope is something that we have no control over. We need, <laughs> <Exactly>. to, <laughs> we need exactly. to put measurable steps in place and, and work towards a, a goal. Talk a little bit about some of the successes you've seen with clients and, and how they have maybe stopped attacks or, or gotten their environments under control. Okay. So I'll tell you an example of one. It was a few years ago. I can go through a few different ones. When Eternal Blue happened, WannaCry happened, we have a global organization. Literally, I think they're in like 50 different countries. They were in enforcement. And what they saw was like systems in Argentina reaching out to Budapest. That was their sort of alert that they had been impacted by WannaCry. And so what they did is they, whenever a system attempted one of those connections, they knew that it had been impacted 
Um, and that was their way to sort of, you know, they didn't, we, we didn't stop the breach from happening, you know, the ingress. What we did do is stop it from spreading and they were able to pinpoint who had been impacted by it from the user population when they were trying to do unnatural things based on their connectivity model. Most recently, when Sunburst happened, we had customers that saw workloads in their data centers reaching out to weird FQDNs because we also do FQDN-based enforcement and FQDN-based visibility. They saw workloads in their data centers and VPCs speaking out to weird FQDNs inside of Amazon. And that was their alert that something weird was happening and they were impacted by Sunburst. So, you know, in these cases, the customers were in enforcement, but it was third party risk, but we were blocking the traffic, but they were seeing abnormal behavior. And we didn't just block the traffic, but we also showed what the behavior was and that let them know that they had had a problem and, you know, they were actually impacted by Sunburst. Although for them, there was no long-term impact because the traffic was blocked. That's an awesome point to make that you see those behaviors that are outside the norm. They really trickle to the top really quickly when you're in enforcement mode or even in monitor mode and you're monitoring against against your policies. But that's something that an organization who takes a more traditional EDR type of approach to things has to potentially funnel through thousands or tens or millions of log messages to get that same kind of message out or that same kind of indication there's a problem out of it as compared to using a tool like like Illumio. Exactly. So where do you see kind of zero trust as a concept, as a strategy kind of leading in the next five to 10 years? Do you think there's something better going to come along or do you think we're, we're really just going to continue to refine this model long term? I think it's going to evolve. So I think a few things are going to happen. First thing is, I think we're already starting to see sort of the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> and I think that, dis, you know, to quote a, a, a Gartner term, and that trough is happening because I think people think it's a light switch, right, to turn on. And that's where the disillusionment happens. And, and sort of, but I think also think organizations are going to accept that, uh, especially boards are now accepting that it's more of a strategy than a product. So I think it's going to evolve out of the trough of disillusionment. And what's going to happen is I think organizations are going to be sort of like boxers in a ring in the early rounds, sort of feeling, feeling it out, right? They're going to pick their punches and you know start with these small deployments and then grow it up over time. So I think that what we're going to see is more and more sort of best practices around how to get a customer from zero to zero trust and make it part of operationally capable. I also think you know just that the, our concepts of zero trust is going to are going to evolve also. So like in, in the in the world of segmentation, it's going to be not just around layer three, layer four IPs. It's going to be around mutual TLS, like service meshes for container type workloads. So don't think that it's, hey, I've got this in an IP-based firewall, that's going to be great. Well, the world's moving more and more to like these workloads that come and go, and and DNS becomes increasingly relevant. So DNS-based segmentation is going to work, right? That also gives you like a certain attestation that the workload is the right workload because you get certificates. So I don't think it's going to, I don't think the strategy is going to go away. I just think it's going to evolve to meet the needs of new compute and new compute architectures, as it were. We have some customers that I've got, we've been able to take from full zero trust, from zero to zero trust, but it evolves a bit over time. But I think we're going to see some larger and larger zero trust deployments 
And those are the companies that are going to be more secure over time. And I suspect that looking backward, we're going to see some companies that went you know, all in on detection, didn't care about zero trust. They're going to be the ones that get breached. And you know, I don't wish that upon them, but that's my sort of suspicion. And I think we're going to see more organizations that adopted zero trust being more resilient to these sorts of things. It's a proactive approach versus a reactive approach. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Matt. Did you have anything else you wanted to No, I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, I look forward to hearing what comes out of Illumio's labs in the future. And again, thank you very much for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Demystifying Zero Trust. We hope you found the content both interesting and insightful. Subscribe to this podcast to continue to explore why and how organizations should adopt Zero Trust.